Well, Jay, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little cooped up here. It's time. Uh, it's time for a move. I think get some uh, some space, some bigger yard, that kind of thing. What do you think? You are really gonna move, but like that's like that's a big deal. Like you can't do it that. It is a big deal. You're, you're scared to even leave your living room. <laughs> it's a. It seem what seems like a big deal moving isn't when you use the right people. You can use these sell your own home situations where you're you're bartering with a guy in your driveway for 45 minutes and you end up selling for $3 or you can use a professional that makes moving actually simple. Who are we going to use? But the problem is obviously Tom, but my worry is like you're so far, you're in Orleans. Tom will come to Orleans, he'll go to Russell, he'll go to Clarence Creek, he'll go to west of the Westie Village, wherever it is out there. <laughs> he'll go anywhere for you and make that experience that you were talking about of nervous or a lot of work, make it seem like nothing. Bastion and Ferguson will literally smooth out the easiest move of your life. Wow, even in Orleans, I just can't get over that. Yeah, once you hit 10th line, 11th line, 14th line, he's still coming. He's driving in his brand new Dodge Caravan, carries his family around in, will sell your home. That's what I'm looking for, an easy ride with Bastion and Ferguson. Look them up, he's gonna sell you quick and easy. Gail, when you're wearing a button-up dress shirt with a tie, do you wear a t-shirt underneath or not? No, not even in Winnipeg when it's cold. Whoa! <laughs> you know what? Who wears a t-shirt underneath? Tommy, not me. Tommy Fashion Police, Wilden Jr.? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's coming up in, this, in these questions. He's his, Good, his questionable attire's coming up. I don't doubt it. Steve O'Kane, snob number one. What's worse when you were a kid, getting a face wash with snow or getting a handful of snow put down your back? Oh, I don't like the back. I hated the like lingering. It always felt like it was there still. I, I couldn't deal with it. Yeah. But I had a t-shirt on underneath my shirt, so I was okay. Jason Whiting, snob number two. When you're chopping wood for your house fireplace, out of 10 logs, how many do you just one chop and it's in two? Never. Never. I'd buy it chopped and all I do is stack it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I do I do have to make kindling, so I have to do some the mini ones. I love I the honesty. I love the Never honesty. Never do one unless it's small. That, like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. So you know who can turn chopped firewood and scrap wood into something? True Build Limited Ottawa. Okay? <laughs> if you want custom projects done, decks, PVC, wood, or composite, 
what's the difference between PVC and composite? I don't even. I don't that's know. a anyway, great. We don't know. That's what makes us not men. Alex Zaslavsky <laughs> is a man. Get him to do your work. He's an Ottawa soccer player working hard for you. Get soccer people to do your work. Okay. If I know Alex well enough, he'll slide tackle your fence up in place. <laughs> Go online. True Build Limited Ottawa. Contact them for your needs. Don't be a real man. Just call them. <laughs> Rob Gale, general manager of the Valor FC in Winnipeg and the head coach. They play in the Canadian Premier League. Okay, if you don't know that, you're listening to this and you're lost. So go listen to something else. <laughs> Rob was born in Zambia, moved to England as a youngster, attended there, played Fulham Youth Academy. You know what? You, the way they're playing, you may still get a call. I fancy the chances. If I could play right back, I'll be in. <laughs> Finished university there and then came to the U.S., got your coaching badges, turned your focus to coaching there. He ran some academy affiliations in the U.S. with Fulham and Charlton, I believe. Is that correct? correct. Yeah. And the best, the best ever, you were a soccer director in a high school in Iowa? That's right. We're getting into that. There's no oh, way that's yeah. escaping Spencer, this Iowa, podcast. the world's smallest town. Oh, we're getting <laughs> to that for sure. Appointed Manitoba technical director. Moved up to the Canadian youth teams as a head coach of the U16, U17, U18, and U20s. Uh, 2018 was then appointed GM and coach of Valor FC in your adopted home of Winnipeg. So thank you. Uh, welcome to our uh, awesome uh, podcast. Thanks. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks yeah. So I'm going to hit you with a quick question. Now, you know what? I'm going to flip the Iowa high school. How did that happen? Was like, I, we've actually spoken about American high school sports on this show before and like how insane it is. So was it like that there? Um, this town, to be fair, Spencer, Iowa. Um, if you blink and you drive through it, you miss it. But no. it did have a... It did have a 24-hour Kmart, so it wasn't too bad. But um, <laughs> it really was a small, small town. But I tell you what, we, we had gone over and done some summer camps and the typical sort of players coming over and doing a few camps and having, having a fun sort of summer in the off-season. And we'd met a, a group of like sort of committed soccer people and they wanted to develop soccer facilities and they'd built their own association, the Northwest Iowa Youth Soccer Association. They ended up building a 36-field uh, complex wow. outdoor facility. They, they went from being perennial underdogs to like state champions within five years in the high school market. And one of my teammates and my mates who came over with me still lives there to this day, runs the programs, oh, wow. built a sports store there, married an Iowa girl. So it turned out perfect for him. Um, oh. But I spent about nine months in this... Uh, in this little town and it was it was awesome the people were unbelievable and yeah it, i bet it, it, that's it, middle america at its best eh? like yeah, actual absolutely. the the you know the the heart and soul of uh, of the country now of hold all on mark the... hold on hold on before we go on we had sean oh, Holmes on. He's like, yeah no you're not he's like our he was like our top rated guest he's he coached at drake in iowa did you yes. ever, do you ever know do you know who he is I do. We used to play, funnily enough, we used to take our provincial teams down to Iowa and Nebraska to play against these teams that I used to work with. So I know Sean well. No That's way. amazing. What wow. a connection, wow. Steve. Well done. Yeah. Steve, take over. I'm out. <laughs> There's only a few people who've ever stopped in Iowa. So yeah. <laughs> they're in soccer and they stopped in Iowa. We all know each other. That's it. Uh, so 
here's a, a question we've kind of brought up on this podcast before. We're a Canadian podcast. You're coaching in a Canadian league. All of the Canadian Premier League teams end or begin with FC. So my question to you is, why not SC? Because we're in Canada. I know it's football all over the world, but I'm just curious. I know you didn't name all the teams. I'm like, Rob, why did you know? No, but I'm just curious. Like, do you think we should have gone maybe with SC, given we're trying to give, uh, you know, Canada an identity? Or do we want to be part of like more of this football global culture, which is okay too. I'm just curious uh, with your opinion on that. I think, uh, and I was involved in the discussions uh, before I was appointed as to where the the Winnipeg franchise name was going to go. And um, I think the reason was the design of the Canadian Premier League was to get away from a North American style league. They they talked a hundred year plan promotion relegation, <gasps> heaven forbid you know right? yeah. <laughs> you're gonna actually start playing with ownership money and accountability here, <laughs> um, and they wanted to make sure it was they didn't really want the playoffs at the end of it right we got there this year just with circumstances but they wanted to be true to a league winner and hmm. even in the identities of the teams and everything else it was very much more a global football approach to uh, building an, an identity and a brand. And I think that's why it, it kind of went the football club route. Okay. That's, you know what, that completely won me over. I wasn't expecting it, but that makes total sense. I mean, uh, I can see, cause we've not talked as silly about, as I look. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They yeah. can't be as silly as you look. So. <laughs> <laughs> we thought this was going to be downhill from the start. So we're already happy. Yeah, right? Yeah, oh, brilliant. Flying right now. <laughs> Love it. No, no, that's a, uh, that's, that's a great, uh, actually, I really, I really respect that approach. So let's start here at the beginning when you're building a club from zero. Yeah. So you've had now have a title. Yeah, you're Valor. You're the coach. And then from what I understood following all this, there was open trials all over the country, correct? Yeah. So was it, I mean, it's hard to uh, kind of put this into words, but I know you're all in together building the league, but you also want to win. So are you at these trials sitting with the other coaches kind of saying like, oh yeah, he's good. We should get him in the league. Or are you sitting like 10 feet apart going like, I'm not letting this guy see my notes. <laughs> between, uh, it's a good story, between October when we started and then the end of November, it, we, we slowly social distance. We've got that in our, <laughs> in our calendar. So, you know what, no, we've got a great camaraderie between us and, and we kind of agreed that like, look, if there's a local player in that market and he's a top, top player, for the benefit of the league and fans and everything else, the, if the coach likes him, he should have first rights to speak to him. That makes um, sense. You know, it only makes sense. And, and realistically, when you're paying for housing and everything else and it's going into your salary cap, that makes the most sense. Now, the, what got interesting was you'd have a player from Korea who's flown in and I think we had about 15 of them at the Pacific trial. Yeah. And, oh, hang on a minute. You know, there's nothing... Yeah, so it got more and more interesting and as, as the trials went on and we'd also spent about six weeks with each other every three days going across the country so yeah. we weren't so friendly with each other by the last trial <laughs> that's fascinating to be starting a league right from scratch like that and having like open league trials like i don't i don't know if i'd say unprecedented but i've never heard of another situation like that that's so unique Absolutely, totally unique. And I think, you know, myself, I can speak for, but Tommy, Jeff, Jimmy, um, Bobby, have all been involved in the Canadian game, Steve, and we've all worn different hats in our development pathway, but we've 
sort of stood the test of time in whatever role we are and mm-hmm. we've given back to the game. So we went in there with that spirit that like, look, this is, you know, the founding fathers as it were, because we need to get this right. So the, the, the branding, the community feel to it, the outreach, everything that we wanted to do in our own communities, we wanted to make sure that these trials were professionally run. Everybody felt like uh, they were treated fairly and, and appropriately and in a professional environment. And we had some great successes. I mean, I think there was about maybe six to eight players that ended up coming into the league. We found young Tyler Atado, who then became the first player to, to sell and go into a, a South American market out of the league a year later. So, you know, that building your own brand and everything and, and starting something completely from scratch really appealed to all of us off the bat because where else in world, foot, world football can you do that? There's yeah, very yeah. few new franchises, but new franchises in a new, new league, starting everything from scratch, amazing experience. So we've yeah. had uh, discussions on here about tryouts and more, more from a youth club perspective. And, you know, I know at least Jason and I, I can't remember and won't speak for Mark. We, we're not big fans of tryouts in that respect. I think in your situation, of course, it's completely different and it makes sense. What, what are you actually doing? Like, are you running a session? Do you have other coaches who run it and you guys just sit back and, you know, I'm going to ask a 37 part question, but what, <laughs> what, what are you doing in those sessions? Are you just playing games or, or are you running some sort of small sided possession stuff? Now, great questions in there. And if I'm, I, we do our own open tryouts now as well. And there's certain things I think you have to do to make them um, fair to every participant. And, and part of that is to give very specific measurables and feedback. So we had a company called Conduct that was a physical training specialist company. Huh. And it's almost like your North American combines. Yep. So yep. they do a 10-yard sprint, a 40-yard sprint. They do broad jumps, height jumps, everything else. And what that gives is that gives you some specific objective sort of data that you can hand back. And you can look at it as a player, and it was uploaded by the afternoon sessions. And then we'd have the physical data of them playing in. First, it started off as small-sided games. Then it went to 8v8. And then the second day, they came back and played 11v11. Brilliant. The best 50 players. And then we narrowed that down to an afternoon game of the best 22. Now, when I do it now in Manitoba, I also do specific technical sessions that we would do with our first team. Yep. But there's also ones in there that you can record measurables. So you can give them a score, eight out of 10, or you can give them. So I think that's really important because you're just watching a, a raft of players and as many eyes as you can, and everybody's coming with different opinions, you need some sort of data to support and match what you're seeing. Yep. And also to give feedback specifically to the players. And then what we do on the second day is we actually do a full presentation of our game model for Valor, the yep. principles, the playing philosophies, and say, look, go out and see if you can try and show some of these qualities that we're looking for on specific positions. And we'll measure you if you're a right back on, on three things. Number of 1v1s in behind. How many times do you not let the opponent get in behind you? How many times do you just stop crosses? You know, these are measurables. How many times do you get into the attacking third and get crosses or connect final acts, as John would call them, Herdman, uh, in that final third? So therefore, they can see how they're doing and what you might measure them on if they come into your environment. And I think, for me, 
that's the most professional and fair way to do it because they feel like they've been treated the same. They feel like it, it, it's been professionally run. We're not just saying pay $200, get a nice T-shirt, herd them through like cattle and, you know, all the best. Yeah, because then it's like a moneymaker. We, again, back to Sean Holmes, we spoke to him about that college ID camps and we were just, yeah. we said, you know, is it a, is it a moneymaker? Are they looking at it? And, and he was very honest with his answer to say, you know, there's some schools that have two scholarships and there's 400 people coming to camp. So he said, you do the math, makes sense, yeah. you know, but I love how you described how you just did that. Very, not just professional, fair, you know, a deliverable. If I'm a player, I have something to, to grade myself against and maybe come back with a target. 100%. 100%, right? And I, I think that that way they realize what you're about. And for us also, and we talk about building the brand and starting something from scratch, we wanted to be a team of like Manitobans for Manitoba, right? The whole of Manitoba wanted to be the most connected team in our community because the Jets come in and they're here nine months a year, but then everybody's out. Like I live here working. My kids were born here. My assistant coach, my goalie coach, a physio all of the staff are Manitobans. So we want to be connected year round. And then if you, you bring in Manitoba players and they're coming in, the least we can do over this two days is spend some serious time maybe in the um, uh, lunch period or afterwards telling them about the values of the clubs, our game model, the, the specific key performance indicators. So we, we even said to them that you might not make the team but we want you to be a fan. We want you to feel like you're a part of this club and that every interaction we have with you is a positive one. Yeah. That how buzzer, much value, uh, Jay, I was just going to say, is yeah, that your buzzer okay. for how many times you hear Manitoba and it just goes off? <laughs> no, I thought your muffins were ready or something. I, I heard that, yeah. <laughs> uh, how much value do you put on the, um, the physical you know, uh, tests that you do that you mentioned actually first, how much value do you put in that either yourself or your coaching staff or the league? Uh, great question. Now, clearly it's a way to bin half of the players in the league because professional football is for athletes more and more so. And if yeah. you haven't got the tools, you know, it's, it's very easy to rule players out immediately. And when you're trying to get from 200 to 50, you know, you're like, look, I'm not being funny, but with these same tests we do with our players and in your miles off, you know. So that's something a player can go and try and improve and work on their own. And for me, that's the biggest part of that is saying, this is something that's in your controllable. Now, what we do once it gets closer and we're looking at players and we're saying, oh, you know what, that, that right winger, he was real interesting. And then the guy who does the physiological side of it comes up to us. He says, well, you know what? His 40-yard dash, actually, he was like the third fastest year. You know, you might want to just pay a little more attention to him. Or we get that data and they say, this guy's unbelievable. He's an unbelievable athlete. Now pay real attention to him and see what his technical and tactical qualities are like. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, a, it's a support mechanism. For me, the eye test and, and getting to know the player and the person and and seeing how they react on the field has to be the overall deciding factor. But it can support or, you know, it can uh, kill a player or, or enhance a player, basically. Of course. Yeah. So once you now you've identified a couple of people uh, to, to put together a squad, I, I actually asked this same question. 
we uh, had an interview with Julian de Guzman the other day. Um, building a team in Canada or in North America, is it hard? Is it difficult to keep a core together because of these one year contracts or, you know, loan deals or this or that? Like, there's no continuity in terms of like keeping a core together, or it's difficult anyway. Like, would you rather sign kids to five year deals so you can build through that? Or, I mean, I can see also that it is a developmental kind of league. So, like, what's what do you think about that? Like, what would you what would you rather have? Yeah, I think look, one of the the things is the league is we said the first year we'd find the level that was our objective at the first year. What's the level going to be? Mm-hmm. I've worked with youth national teams at every age. I know that we can compete in the Concacaf region, but how many of those players are going to commit to the league? How many will establish themselves? What are the international talent be like? Mm-hmm. You know, where was the kind of needle? And the needle fell clearly with the two established franchise. Yeah. Bobby through having his Sigma contacts and being in League One Ontario and Tommy for his Foothills uh, club yeah. before yeah. that. And yeah. they elevated themselves from PDL and League One, but they have gone through the process that we're going through now. Yeah. Can kids deal with a full-time envi- environment? How do they deal with adversity? How do they deal with the spotlight and fans and the increased exposure, right? All of those factors. So I think second year you saw the league improve, even with the snapshot that it was. Yeah. Certainly as a football club improved dramatically in terms of character, culture, adversity, dealing everything behind the scenes. And then the performances were there too. But if you offered a kid a five-year contract in a salary cap league and you find out year one, he's a bit of a cancer Every time the spotlight's on him, he's pointing one finger, but somehow the other three don't come back. <laughs> it's, always, it's, always, it's always somebody else's fault or problem. Yeah. Now, now you've got to go to your owner and say, well, we're on the hook here for uh, whatever, 120000 for the next four years or whatever that case yeah. may be. So one of the real interesting things that I spoke extensively to like Alan Coke and um, the DeSantos's Phil and Mark about is dealing with that salary cap and, and how Mark had done it very well in the NSL. And he said, what you've got to be real careful for is every year so they want the pay rise, right? Cost of living increase, a performance increase. He says, you end up five years later and you're spending another $150,000 for the exact same level of play you had five years before. Yeah. And that's the challenge. So that's yeah. why turnover is healthy. <clears throat> Players hopefully go on to the next level. If, if, if there wasn't a cap, then there was, you know, more room and ownership and a burgeoning league, which we hope five years down the line and media exposure. Maybe you can afford to take longer term punts on things, but I think the approach at the moment is slow and steady is going to win the race. And I think yeah. that's right. Um, I'm going to roll back to the combine and, and other type of recruiting. Um, do you, do you run into Eagles? I mean, the three of us ran a PDL team for about for five, six years. And I, I remember running into this a whole bunch. And when we're trying to recruit, you kind of, I don't know if you're seeing it more now, cause now you're probably actively searching, uh, you know, for, to, to up the qualities, but you run into the Eagles and the whole waiting game of recruiting where, you know, uh, Billy Joe here. He's like, yeah, you know, Arsenal uh, spoke to me the other day, so I got to wait to see Arsenal trial. And then, and then it's like, you got to wait six months to get a yes or no for this guy. Like, are you seeing a lot of that? Like people kind of 
the inflating egos of uh, of the new age, of the new generation. We are, and agents are solely oh. and predominantly to blame, as you fellas all know, because everyone's got the next best player, or you know, immediately the asking price is he's a top player in the league on that value. Yeah, and, and oh, you know, well, why hasn't he scored? more than two goals in the last fight. Well, the coach is oh, he didn't quite fit there. They, they can rattle off a list of excuses, but they know exactly why he's the best player for you. And you, You've got to tread that minefield. You, you, you come to learn which agents you can trust and they're going to yeah. give you honest and straight answers because they know then you'll build a solid relationship with you. But there's a few and we're still dealing with uh, some right now and it's it's a merry-go-round. It's a slippery fish. You think you've got the player, and then the next thing you know, uh, some other clubs in, and you've thought you'd done all the due diligence. The player says he wants to come to you. You've dealt with the player, gets back to the agent, and now there's a list of demands, and you're like, well, hang on a minute, yeah, yeah. just a football decision, technical, and me dealing with a player that I used to coach at the national team. Fortunately, the the, the majority of them wanted have wanted to come and be a part of this project. So that's good. Yeah. So in terms of loans, I want to quickly bring up loans because I know that's a big part of, uh, of what, you know, the CPL may use. But before we get into that, um, loans, getting a mortgage on your first home, <laughs> right? <laughs> so creative. Renew or refinancing your mortgage or consolidating your debt has never <laughs> been easier. You know why it's never been easier? Because a soccer player is doing this for you, Phil Craig, an <laughs> Ottawa soccer legendary striker. Know him for his calm demeanor in front of goal. Composure, just important when dealing with money. He takes all the burden off you and calmly <laughs> slots home a winner for you. Wow. He'll put you first like he puts his team first all those years of playing men's rec soccer over here, winning those trophies. I did hate playing against him. He was a good player. He was like, brilliant. Fantastic. He, he would have played. He could have played in the CPL. I agree. He was he's the from, best finisher I ever played with. He's from don't Leicester. Miss, he's from don't Leicester. Missed the chance to work with the best. Look him up. Phil Craig, Mortgage Outlet, Ottawa. Just do it. We none of us know how to deal with money. Maybe Rob does because he's got a salary cap. But <laughs> yeah. we need Phil Craig. Now loans in and out. I know that's got to be tough trying to convince you know some uh, some of the bigger clubs to let their young players go, but. How is it dealing with bringing loan players in? Are, are they, uh, I, I mean, I guess there could be two schools that thought, one, they come in, I'm at a big club, I'm better than this, or two, they're just like yearning for games. I know Dunn this year for you was magical. So I, I don't know, well, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, he, he's a perfect example of what you want it to look like, right? Young kid, hungry, he's fifth or sixth in the depth chart at TFC. He's down there in the bubble doing everything right, but he's never going to see a minute in no realism. Yeah, as a 19-year-old Canadian lad and Mavinga and all the boys ahead of him. So, you know, the, in, in any negotiations, you know, loans are the same thing. You need agreement from the player. You need agreement from the, the club. And then you've got to get the agent as well. So you've got the selling club, the buying club. You've got the player and the agent. So it's, it's discussions. It's endless talk. Uh, the one thing I find easy to articulate to after years of experience is what our playing style, game model, and where that player is going to fit in. And I will tailor make a conversation for a player. So I say, look, I've watched your last nine, ten games. 
and Julian was a great example. You need to step up and take your more leadership role. Uh, I'm not talking with the first team, but you can you can be more demanding. You can push your line higher and, and communicate more. You can also be a better player on the ball. I know you've got it in your locker, but 75% of the time you you know you're playing safe. For us, we want you to watch. You're going to be alongside Andrew Jean Baptiste. He's a perfect foil. He can hit a 45-yard diagonal, no problem but he can connect the 20-yard punch ball. So those are the conversations that you have to have. And then if you do that and you're very, very honest with the club and the player, you've got a good chance of selling the agent on it because the player says, you know what, I've, I've worked with Rob before. I know his style. I know he wants to improve and develop players. This is where he sees me fit in. I like the style of football they're trying to play. Can we get it done? Then the club wants to know, you know, if I'm going to loan him to you, is he going to play? Yeah. You know, yeah, is he going to sit there on the bench for you and go through another quarantine and another two weeks and 12 <laughs> tests up his nose just to sit there? Or is he going to get some game time? And then you have to say, look, there's nothing guaranteed in football, but this is why we want him and this is where we see him. And now if he steps in with the right attitude and uh, the right desire and he has the, the right character to play for us and what we're trying to build as a franchise, he's got every chance. Uh, I'm going to jump in, Rob, because I'm afraid Mark's going to do another commercial and I get my question in before. <laughs> and, I'm a, I'm a, and I'm afraid of what I'm going to say and what it might lead to. But uh, <laughs> total coaching nerd question. And I think there's probably a standard and you could probably give me a standard answer if, if you can add to it some layers, make an onion or something, give it to me. So what's your weekly schedule like Monday to Monday to, or Sunday to Sunday with a game? Like, what are you looking to do? Um, with these guys, you know, what's like a standard one? And, and, and anyway, speak to that if you could for me, because I'm dying to know from you. All right. Okay, donkey, layers, an onion. No, yeah, like um, yeah it, for me, and it, it, this goes back to coach development or, or, or development of a player as a whole and, and how you build a team and how you, how you build a player. I yep. always say the best coaches and, and the best developers of players you know what the, the, the picture on the jigsaw puzzle box looks like at the end of it, right? So for me, that's Saturday afternoon, 3 p.m. We're playing, let's just say, uh, Forge. We know their strengths and weaknesses. We've got to deny them in the pockets and the midfield. We know their fullbacks are going to, we know their patterns. This is how we're going to nullify that. This is how we're going to, everything stems back from that. So in your week, you go back and it's a typical week in that you say match day minus one. Yep. You're not going more than 50%. It's maybe four kilometers total output. You're on the field for a maximum of an hour. You don't want any more than maybe 500 meters high intensity sprints. You've got to be fit and ready for the next day, right? Yep. So that session could take a little bit of shape, walk through, maybe some set pieces. But you're very much limiting the action on the field a little bit more work in the classroom beforehand, showing the boys some video. Um, and then post-training, once we're done with the opposition, we just focus on us. So I'll name the lineup the night before. Mm -hmm. And then the morning of the game, we'll go through set-piece roles, responsibilities. And that, if we're away, we'll be in the hotel. If not, we'll do it two hours before the game when the players arrive and et cetera. So that's kind of game day and match day minus one. Yep. And then you kind of plod your way back through that. So if I've got four sessions leading into that, I need to cover attacking organization for us, mm -hmm. our half and their half. Defensive organization, 
our half, their half, attacking transitions, defensive transitions, set pieces, the, the key moments of the game. So each day will go along those themes. And then what you're working on is, okay, which are the hardest days of those sessions is unbel- for sure the transition days. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Defensive organization, we can do two days before a game yeah. and we're at 60%. Yep. Attacking organization, okay, good, we're 70%. Tuesday's the hard day if Saturday's the work day. It's like the get after it day. Yep. Right, boys, it's, it's transitions today. Right, so we, we, we plug the weekly calendar, we periodize the, the sessions, we have the physiological, like the physiological data, the heart rate monitors, the, yeah. wow. you know, the, the distances, everything now. It's, it's such a science behind it, right? But so important in that preparation so that you're peaking at the right time. Yeah. And then what will happen is if you played Saturday, typically Sunday is a day off if you're on the road because you're traveling. If it's at home, we bring them in in the morning yeah. and we do a flush and they get on the bikes and it'll be a jog around the field. The players who don't play have to get up to the physical side that they've missed because you don't want muscle atrophy and waiting around. Yeah. And it, I think that's one of the biggest things, especially in tournament play that I learned with the national teams, is the hardest job is motivating the 14th to 23rd player. Yeah. It's easy to motivate the lads that start every week and Julian Dunn and Andrew Jean-Baptiste. Just you give them a pat on the back. You give them a little yeah. tickle. Get the ice bath, lads. Rest yourself up. Cover yourself in cotton wool. I'll see you yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. But for the lads who need it, you've got to really work those boys and you need yeah. to spend time improving them and talking to them about what their role might be for that week. So I have 100,000 follow-up questions that I'm having such a good time listening to. Awesome. So loads of little components around that. And then what you try and do is just break up then your unit meetings where you maybe I need to bring the back four in and we'll watch a bit of video, goalkeeper-specific meetings. So the the week kind of goes, look, we played Saturday, Sunday we recover. Monday is the main review day of the last game. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're already on to the next game. You've got no time to worry about it, think about it, put it behind you. If you've got a midweek game, you just shorten that all up. Or if it's a tournament, play, review. The review's done by the following evening. We forget that one, put it to bed. We've done a recovery session. You've got one training session and you're playing again. Yeah. Jay, I've got another like, 10 questions. Question. You're going to jump in? Yeah. Yeah, no, I... I... Like this might take us off where you want to go, Steve. But right away, I was thinking, um, who's your assistant? Like, I'm dying to know who's who's your team, who's your staff, and like your your game uh, analyst, your video analyst, and and how much everything <laughs> you're looking at. And and this is what this is the beauty and also the challenge of the league is myself and my assistant coach, Damian Rock. Yeah, do the work. We haven't got a specific um, video analyst. Now, what we've cleverly done, or we think it's clever, but we've gone out to the local Manitoba soccer community and coaches that we know, and we're mentoring a little bit. Mm-hmm. And in home games, we get them to do some opposition scouting reports. We, we utilize what the resources are and kind of give them some professional development and exposure and insight. But predominantly, the game planning, the video analysts, the cutting up of the games. I'll give you an example in the tournament. We play first game Cavalry, three days later, we have our second game and we are, who was our second game? Ottawa. So 
Game's done. Get back to the hotel. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. Damien and I watch the cavalry game back, formulate our thoughts, get ready. And Damien's job is to clip out for the Monday evening. Or, yeah, it was the Sunday, so it's a Monday. What we want to show the players back, good, bad and ugly. Then I am already moved on to Ottawa. So that evening, I'm watching my what would be third game of the day. You're physically and emotionally drained from <laughs> sparring with Tommy and all his bench on the sideline for an hour and a half and, and trying to keep up with his suit selections and hair choices and his grinders caps. And now I'm having to get onto Ottawa. I've already watched their game back twice from their first game against York. You're already moving on and we're doing that work. So the bubble for us, people say, you know, was it hard? Was it not? For the staff, it was easy because you just work. And it was like a national team camp for me. Yeah. What was Guatemala like? It was like the inside of a hotel room and the training field at the stadium. That's what Guatemala was like. Yeah, yeah. Exactly as PEI was like, as New York <laughs> is like, as Spain is like. You know what, I, I, for what it's worth, Rob, I do think it's brilliant. I think you tick so many boxes getting those coaches to do that. You're developing, you're getting uh, growth in the game in Canada. You're, uh, like you're getting someone else to, you're out, outsourcing your work. Uh, you're getting local buy-in. I mean, I, I, that's four right there I could go on. I think that's absolutely genius. I want to ask you two things. One, always the day before you name the team. Do you ever save it for before? Is that a, a hard and fast rule for you? That's a for fantastic me, question. For me, it is a hard and fast rule. I go back to being a player, and I used to hate, and even in our over 35 men's league year, if the coach comes up and we're two minutes before kickoff and he's just naming the lineup, I know I'm in it. I'm a selfish <laughs> bastard. I'm going to be centre midfield, no problem. But I used to, I used to hate, I used to hate not knowing, not knowing an hour and a half before, you know, because sleep, uh, yeah. food, everything, just that mental preparation. And what I also think, and I've seen with young players and Canadian players, is we're not the best at dealing with adversity. Yeah. Not, we've got nice middle-class privileged backgrounds, a lot of us. And, oh, hang on a minute, something hasn't got right for me. So... They need time to get over that, and already the lips hit the floor as they've seen the team sheet, and <laughs> I can't get anything out of them for the rest of that evening. Yeah. And if that's game day morning, I don't want that about in my dressing no, room. No, no. Right? Get over it. Be disappointed. I also spend a lot of time after announcing the lineup, like an hour, talking to the subs and the people I haven't selected and then telling them exactly why. And that's something I always used to do with the national team. So you hear it from me. Because yep. you're your own worst critic, you lads will know. Yeah. Uh, they go away. Oh, coach doesn't like me. Oh, maybe I did this, or yep. maybe that social media post or that tackling train. No, <laughs> this is why. It's this. It's this game. This reason. This is what I yep. need you for. Get Fair. your head around the roll. Yeah. And we've gone away. Like John Herman always calls them starters and finishers, not yep. subs anymore. You're either starting a game or finishing it. That's brilliant. A good little that. mental switch to say. Yeah. You know what? You're probably going to be needed, especially with five subs. So don't mope. Get over it. Get your head around it tonight. Go in the room and phone your girlfriend and tell her Rob Gale's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but tomorrow morning, come ready to work for that idiot again because I'm going to need you. That's that's brilliant. I want to. You're in a unique position to answer my next question, and it's it's like I tailored it for you. I'm I'm a, I'm a genius here. You came through the youth system. Well, you came through. You've coached youth. You coached the youth national team, and the I guess the dynamic of your league, like Mark said, loans and development and all that. How do you layer on that 
or do you even bother layering on development of some of those players on top of that weekly schedule you gave us? Because I would think the same as you. I would deconstruct from the team, and I'd want to kill what Forge does. I'd want to take Becker out, whatever. But you're also wanting to develop that player, that TFC player, to be better for you, be better for them. Like, is there some sort of longer-term I, I keep doing this. This is the plan over the plan in case you understand. Yeah, yeah. It's like a claw plan. Like, I don't know why I keep doing it, but I do. Anyways, do you, do you have a lot of about that or is it very like you just got to go through that season? For, for me and the, our club and the way we work, Damien is, is very much like-minded. We have my brother-in-law, John Peacock, who'd worked for many, many years with the English Football Association yeah. for Manchester United. We feel the way to win is through development and building players and, and the the individual performance plans, as we call them, for players, we sit specifically and say, where do you where do you see yourself? You know, six weeks, six months, three years. How do we? Our question often to players is, what can we do for you as a club rather than what you can do for us? Right? So how Great do we question. help you achieve your goal? Because I think if you get that and you buy in and they see that you're invested, they'll want to play for you. Personally, I believe in that. And yeah. I think we create that right, learn, balance between, yes, we're a professional sports team and we want to win. There's a need to win. There's also a need to entertain people. I, I firmly believe that and in the way we try and play. Yeah. But if we can develop players and build that, it will grow the culture of the club. It will grow Canadian soccer. It will help us get to that next level. We'll attract more talent because of that. Yeah. Um, you know, Arsene Wenger was an Arsenal fan for my sins. So he was the ultimate um, uh, sort of compo- uh, implementer of that, really. Yeah, he right? could marry those two together. Yeah. He had that yeah. proponent. Absolutely. So for me, that's what we try and do. And I think, and I talk to local coaches extensively, do some mentorship work, and those guys that work with me. And I say, look, I'm designing a training plan, but your job as the assistant coach is. Uh, look, we've done a phase of play and it ends in a finish on goal. But I need Austin Ricci to continue to work on his finishing. He's got yeah. all the power. He's got the raw ability. So I want you to hit a second phase ball and then I want him to ping across and get on the end of a third phase ball. And we're just going to spend that 10, 15 minutes at that end of the field whilst we're regrouping and doing the next component of the phase of play to work the specifics of that player. Or Rafa Heen needs to work on his receiving in the midfield. So every ball that to start the drill, instead of just play it from the halfway line, keeper strikes it, Raf, two touches, receive and distribute. I'm going to pressure you as the ball's in the air. Mm-hmm. Just, I think you have to have those little tricks of the trade up your sleeve that yep. says to the player, I'm going to spend a bit more time with you. I think there's something there and we can improve you and we're going to work with you based off the video, the game footage, you, your own eyes and the feedback and, and spend time to invest in people because we're one of the last great human industries, right? And you have to invest in people. Who's on the pitch more, you or your assistant? Oh, that probably just because we haven't got an enormous amount of staff, both, but I'm very conscious in my role as a head coach to develop a succession plan and future coaches as, as well. Hmm. Uh, so we will split a session and take components of it each, but we'll always both be on the field Beautiful. and elements of it. But I make sure I hate the, the, uh, the guys who just pick up Marcus or whatever. We even brought in a, 
a, a young local lad. Um, he'd had some difficulties off the field, talked to us. He said, I'd love to be around the environment, positive people. I said, well, if you're coming in, you're going to work. You're not just coming to pick up Marcus. So we had him running the warm-up. Wow. We had him doing some position-specific work with the players. If we were short, a player would jump him in because he was a good player. I'm a firm believer that you have to maximise and utilise every resource that's available to you. Yeah. And that, like we say, there's no hierarchy in our, our organisation. There's leadership and the buck stops with me. Yeah. But we don't do hierarchy. We don't do ego. It's a collective effort to bring the best out of what we've got. What, what's, uh, what's your assistant's strength? Did you pick him? Like, where did you get him? And like, why him? And who picked him? That's... Uh, he's local and cheap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you love that when he is that one. Putting that one on social media right away. <laughs> yeah, that's the sound bite of the show. How'd yeah. you pick your assistants? Well, I used up all the money on my wages. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, he's actually a player that I ended up playing with when I first came to North America. Uh, and then he's an incredibly smart individual. He's actually done 30 years in the finance industry. Huh. Got a college scholarship to Cornell. Wow. Um, and played hockey and soccer there. Oh, wow. He has a unique record that he's got more penalty minutes per ice time than any other player because he got in a fight in his first game and got banned for about 21 minutes. Amazing. That's got a great amazing. story. And he's the yin to my yang. He's intense. He never takes a second off of football. He's fierce uh, in all the right ways. And he's just a great foil for me. And he's also very good in the terms of financial, the business aspect. Of yeah. He doesn't take a minute off. Like, uh, I'll probably, mm. that's why I turned my phone off and the, the muffins going was probably 35 <laughs> text messages from Damien to say, I haven't spoke to you in 20 minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> for me, he's, he's a good balance. He's gone through his licenses, done his Canadian A, very important that he, he's back in that and walking that walk. Uh, but he just brings an array of skills. He's an incredibly uh, loyal, intense, and intelligent man. Amazing. I've got um, an in-game question. Now we're coaching in the game. Now, given the bubble and you know how the world is right now, is it in some way looking at a positive way, is it easier to coach now that the players can actually hear you beyond the screaming in this? I mean, now, I mean, the players must hate it, but I, now you can get across to anybody anytime. Like, is it like, uh, you know, is it easier to coach in, in a, in a quiet place? hundred percent. You know, that's a good one because I look at the, the, the people on the telly, it makes me laugh and they're yeah. all like, oh, you know, this coach. And then people say to me, why aren't you, you know, getting up and yelling at the players? I'm like, cause I'm doing that for the cameras. Half the time they can't hear me. It's in our stadium, and we got the trench, and we had like 13,000 people at a couple of games last year. And even though the the noise is on the far side, you couldn't communicate 20 yards to a player. You just can't hear. Yeah. You, know, and you have to take the breaks in the game and and the whistle, and you know you become a mime, a mime uh, you know. On the, on the <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those. So. Um, it's way different. I mean, you can see it in the stadiums now and you listen to the stadium ones on zone, right? And you can yeah. hear what out. It's brilliant. There was a thing on Thierry Henry as well. Just yeah, today. I just saw that. I just it's, saw it's that. It's so much fun, right? But uh, yeah, players hate it. The right winger who after five minutes has had enough and goes and flips over. Oh, fancy <laughs> playing inverted right now. That's what I do. The defensive transition. Bustos and Petrasso. What the... 
Hang on, you're both playing left wing, lads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a second part to that question is, is something we actually spoke about early on in our podcast, actually. Steve, I remember you were, uh, you were on about it as a head coach. Steve would have loved to have had the famous drinks break. Okay, because like that's an opportunity for you to gather your team around and get a message across, correct? So we thought before you get on that, like on if you liked it or you didn't, or if you found it valuable, we actually proposed on this podcast and it got to about our, our five listeners that coaches should be banned from the drinks break and <laughs> just get a drink and go back on the field. That way, anyway, so what, do you, what did you think about that drinks break chat? Did you prepare for it? Like before the game, like I know they're coming in at 75. I got it. You know, did you prepare for it? No, it's like a halftime team talk. The game tells you what you're going to say, right? And yeah, really, you've got to minimize that information there. Because you can imagine, and you guys have played and coached, your player is in his own head, performance is going well, state yeah. of the game. Two, three real salient quick points. Um, <clears throat> a couple yeah. of tactical information, maybe a little side chat here or there. Utilize your assistant. I thought that was going to be a commercial and you can say you can go and get a beer. <laughs> I was waiting for the local Ottawa player to knock right. on the door with an Uber Eats and a beer. <laughs> Where's my soccer guys now? Help me out for a pint. Yeah, uh, I got to wait for their checks to clear. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for me, it is a big part. I'll tell you a good story. When I was with the national team and the youth teams, we often felt that the Canadian player and the young player wasn't as game savvy as the El Salvadorians and Mexicans, you know, who are playing on the streets all the time. And often we'd put out a game plan and a structure. And if it wasn't quite going right or the opposition changed their shape, we're trying to adapt on the fly and get the message over to the players. And I think for a spell of two years there as a under 20 coach with a 95 group, I think it might've been, we never lost two games in a row which for a Canadian team was really, really strong. And we're playing Mexico, we're going to England, Spain, Ireland, USA, playing Japan, any country you can name it. But one of our great strengths was we were always better in the second half. And that's where we were a little bit too much coach-driven for me. We adapted on the flies myself, Tony Fonseca, Mark Bircham. We were the ones controlling our adaptations and on the fly. And I know that's saying that John is... is uh, very keen on with the national team now is in-game changes and just changing your shape to paint a different picture for the opposition. And if they change their shape, you counter-react with an in-game changer. And we've tried to implement that a bit more so that you're not relying on now. It's way better when you've got 30 minutes, 45, 75. Yep. Actually cost us the, the cavalry game, first game of the tournament. We wanted to just change and, uh, and on the fly, conceded the soft-flipping penalty uh, and a second goal within the space of four minutes. And that delay was about three minutes after when the, set, the uh, water break wouldn't be. So we were desperate to get them in to get reorganized because the momentum of the game had changed and we hadn't adapted well. Yeah. And after that, the next 65, we were fine. But you give a team a 2 0 head start in any league, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's the Premier League this year and you're yeah. <laughs> yeah, And then, then, anything, then anything happens. I love that you brought that up and uh, maybe we could delve a little into your youth stuff with Canada. I, I think that's genius about the bit, a bit too much coach driven. That's why I don't like the water break, despite Mark's sarcasm. Like as a fan, I just want, I want to see mistakes. I want momentum to go one way and I don't want a coach to control it. Um, yeah. When you develop for Canada, I will say it's something I've seen change 
and I, and I don't want to like suck up to to all our guests here and whatever, but I, I think a large part of that is players that have come through you and the way you've spoken. Was there a conscious effort to make Canadian players more just thinkers and less athletes? You know, like you mentioned, uh, Guatemalans playing street soccer, doing whatever. They're cunning. You know, a Suarez is going to, you know, he might bite you and all that, but, he, but, he's, but he's cunning, you know? Like, he's going to do something out of nowhere. And I feel like we've been a lot, very robotic. But I would say it's changing. And, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's a definitely a credit to you. But is that a conscious thing that you guys talked about? Yeah, no, you're spot on. And there's not really any credit to me, but let's be honest, the uh, evolution of the MLS clubs and the academies, more players in professional environments, that's, that's absolutely vital and why the players are starting to become more savvy. They're going down and playing teams like your LA Galaxy who will have yep. seven, eight, you know, Mexican-American players on the field, very difficult to play against and they're wily. It started as far back, I can tell you, in 2011 when we went to the World Cup in Mexico. We're based in uh, Pueblo. And uh, it was the Uruguayans. And we were nil-nil for 70 minutes. The centre forward there was being touted as the next Forlan and Cavani. He put his foot through Max Cripo. Injured him on 70 70 minutes. Um, and just cleverly left his leg in, edge of the box, knew exactly what he was Dang doing. Yeah. Proposed out for the tournament. Um, they go on to win that game 3-0. I mean, it was 0-0 at 77 minutes. And they're just, they're, we just saw the naivety. And it was, it was highlighted when we went to qualifiers, but it was exposed at the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, the great part, Quillen Roberts actually came in, scored against England. Wow. He was our joint top goal scorer in the tournament, which I still remind Kevin Allerman of that every time he's walking around <laughs> like this. I just, I just remember our reserve goal, he scored as many goals as you in the World Cup. But, uh, you know, we made a conscious effort when Tony Fonseca actually sat down with me at the World Cup there and he'd seen me train the lads and the design. And that's when he first offered me the under-18 roles, which offered 18 to 16 and then morphed into 15 to 20s, really. Yeah, we said we've got to develop number one a winning mentality. We've got to get you know more sessions, more exposure to these lads in tournament environment and in Concacaf. You know, yeah. very specifically with target going to El Salvador, going to Guatemala, going into places Panama. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, Honduras. So for the next three four years, we were very deliberate in that. We'd either go to Concacaf or we'd go to a specific tournament. And then we'd play the Englands and the Mexico, yeah. the Islands and the Russias and US, Japan, those kind of teams. So they were becoming more tournament savvy and also more CONCACAF savvy. And very deliberate approach to Good that. Time. And then also building our DNA. Because before John and, and the evolution of the program and, and the partnership with the women's side and the resources, we had very limited resources. So we had to target them very, very carefully. Mm-hmm. Work on mentality of the Canadian player and exposing them to the specific things that they're going to face so that hopefully we don't expose Stephen Hart when it counts at the, at the yeah. key moment. You know what I mean? Did you go yeah. as far as like almost identifying like uh, like a Canadian player persona that we want, like as a country would want to develop? Yeah, very specifically. And it was our own DNA. And at the time, England were doing their DNA. And my brother-in-law was involved in that project. So I shared a lot of the information. And very similar in how we wanted to create the playing style and the pattern. 
yeah. polar opposites in the characteristics that our kids need to learn. We were at the World Cup playing England that same tournament, 2-2. Last minute of the game, we've just got back in it. Quillen scored the bouncing goal over Pickford's head. Good uh, oh, to see Pickford still dropping clangers. <laughs> uh, and we've got our fullback running to take a throw in. And we're running down the side. Slow down. Yeah, yeah. Little things that yep. you pick up yep. on the playground in yep. the, in the football yep. environment and everything else. There's no way a hockey player doesn't know how to kill a game in this country, right? And, and we yeah. realized we had a lot of work to do on specific moments. Um, you know, keeper went to just fall on the ball and things you see that are commonplace now. Yeah. They didn't have that before. But now the young players are seeing the professionals that they're working with, they're seeing the games on TV, they're seeing their own club players yep. go into those environments. It's such a, a different learning curve than it was. In, I want to touch on that. It's embedded in our culture. Like, I'm just going to go as basic as U9, U10. The referees are told not to give cards or yellow cards to kids. And I understand kind of what they're thinking. But we were talking about it on our last show, or uh, I think just the three of us. And it's like, you know, I, I, I would tell the guys, like, you know, fall down and grab the ball. So the ref has to stop the game. At least you stop a transition. I know they're U10 or whatever, but it's like, why are we punishing skilled players who are, who are, who are you know, changing the game with a little dribble and, and a little yeah. exciting beats two guys in, in the attacking areas or maybe in the creation phase or the final phase. And, yeah. we're, and, and we're punishing them. The ref's like, play on. Or like, the, or you do death by a thousand cuts, like U14, U15, or over 35 like us. I always tell the ref, Ref, we're dying by a thousand cuts here. I'm getting killed. <laughs> My ankles are done here. And it's always oh, just a little one. I don't care. And if I'm winning 10 nothing, I want to win 100 nothing. The, the rules are still the same. So, like, what's your message to all the coaches listening here in, in Ottawa, like, with their kids and maybe referees who are listening to this? Like, how can they help the game? That's a good in, question. In the little messages with the referee, even through the referees and the coaches. I honestly well, think. We, uh, we overstructure things nowadays and we have this desire. I'm, I'm at fault. I've got two teenage girls. You, you want your kids to have more than you had. We want them to be, you know, well-rounded, nice kids, successful. They've got everything, education, you know, great living, uh, social lives, clubs, all the support systems. Go into football culture and it's just the game is the game, Right. And it doesn't matter. And I was in Africa for five years of my life. And there's people playing with a, a bunch of rolled up plastic bags or an orange or a grapefruit or whatever else. We got kids now, who, if they don't walk out into a floodlit turf field with perfect pumped up balls, oh, this field's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and and we've, we've overstructured the game. We've overcomplicated it, I think. Um, and we just need to go back to the two kids playing in a park in the street. Mm -hmm. You know, one's going to chop down the other guy or wherever else. But he's going to go, well, have that. I needed to chop you down because you're better than me, right? But the kid will get up and he'll bounce back and play. And and that is the game. Now, at the younger ages, for sure, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, look, I'd rather focus on the technique and the development and the well-rounded approach and the the Barcelona-type model where they're playing primary, supplementary and... Uh, you know, subsidiary positions and your, yeah. your experience in the full game for sure. But within that, kids know the score. Kids know who the best players are. Kids know who the, the weak players are and they want to shove in goal. Yeah. 
right? <laughs> there's, there's still got to be that element of reality of, of, of real life, and we can't shelter them from everything. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I, it's just got to be the pureness of the game. Yeah. For me. But don't you think, don't you, I, I hate to go back on the referees because everyone knows I hate referees, but. <laughs> like, the wrong fella, you know, I, yeah, it's yeah. like a question for him. I did as a boss for eight years. I know, but I just, just, someone mentioned this the other day, like I was talking to them and they said, to, to, to raise up our game, we have to raise up the referees too. Like, I, I'm like, just. Just so those kids aren't getting butchered from doing all this dribbling, the little kids like they get dissuaded from it, or it's like, what message would you send to referees? I don't know. Like uh, you probably I, never I thought. Think that it, no, that's I mean that's a big old uh, ball yeah. of wax to get into there, and we could uh, we could stick a grenade in the middle of that one and see what comes <laughs> out. But ultimately, like you say, every there's four pillars of the game, right? And the coaches and the players and the the referees and the administrators, and you need all of them. And the, the yep. volunteers and the administrators are the lifeblood and probably don't get the credit. But without referees, we're, we're struggling, right? And you see some of these parents and overzealous and killing purple shirt referees in our province and, and worrying about things that aren't. So we have to educate, number one, the parents uh, and the people that are killing referees at a young age so that we actually have a, a pool to choose from. Yeah. But then, and I, I've just discussed this because we're talking about development of programs here. And referee development should take place alongside coaching and player development. If I'm running an academy program and we're having an 11-side game, I want the prospects of referees that are coming out the local youth districts and clubs to come and be alongside training and practice their running and keeping up with the speed of play. And we did a great job of that with the Manitoba Soccer Association and only because Hector Vergara was there. And he's ref more games in a World Cup or the fourth official than anybody else. And he was my boss at Manitoba Soccer. You know? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So he had a distinct interest and had a group of about 35 referees that would come out and run the field around the outside every morning and then be in our training. And as we're running drills, they'd practice real live action in training. That's amazing. That's, that's the kinds of initiatives you need to develop. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you just leave them to it, and I give the league, the referees in our league as good a stick as most, uh, maybe not as much as Tommy and Pa did this year, but uh, <laughs> I just have that one on the record, or Bobby. But, um, <laughs> they they have to learn and develop, but they shouldn't be learning and development at the professional level. No. Exactly. So if they're getting their development there. We failed them in their pathway to get there. Yes, they'd, they'll become better professional referees, I'm, I'm no doubt. But that can't be one of their main development sources. We need to get them to that level or the same level they will be in five years when they're entering that stream. Yeah, yeah there's too much at stake for you. Sorry, Mark. Go ahead. No, no, I'll jump back it. in, Mark, but that's such a simple way to do it. I'm glad you did that. Like that... I don't know. I feel dumb that I've never thought of that. Just yeah. integrate them. Why are, why are we on different I've islands? I've got to give Hector Vergara. I'll give a referee some credit for a change. Hector. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's rare. By that, yeah. But that's, we're going to bring great. that back. We're going to bring that back because yeah, it, it worked well. Yeah. So I'm going to just ask you one more question here before we move on to our uh, quick rapid fire and then we'll, uh, we'll let you go. But the one question I, I, uh, I'm seeing a little bit um, in the news, but it's more of, you have such a long off season now with this, with the CPL. Yeah. Are you actively trying to find your players a place to play or is that a them and the agent kind of thing? Like, cause I mean, they're just, I mean, what are they doing now for the next five, six, seven months? Right. 
Oh, it's a pro. I mean, I felt this problem most when I was the under 20 national team coach because I'd have to go into qualifying in January, and the majority of my players hadn't played a game since October. And we're playing the Mexico Roadshow and other leagues where all these teams are playing uh, in warmer environments. And you're standing out there and you're like, I know my team's better than this, but yeah. we are nowhere near prepared. You know, I've got players coming into camp and they're five pounds overweight from the last time we've seen them. You know, you're playing with your hands tied behind your back and we still haven't solved that. Uh, yeah. And now, obviously, being on the club side of it, we... And this year's even worse because the, yeah. the transfer windows are, were messed up and some are open, some are not. Trying to find them that experience. Um, there was a few that managed to get out. We thought we'd done a deal with a specific league in CONCACAF where we could send five of our players and be placed. Uh, five were going to go into a team and two, two or three others maybe in the same league. Wow. And they would mm. play competitively through December. Wow. And then... FIFA said, well, no, you have to have players that are only not on contract. And we're like, well, of course, yeah. we're not going to release them. And then what happens if they get injured? Now the player has no guarantee for March. Yeah. And it kind of fell through. So we speak to the players. Uh, we have contacts all over world football. I'm lucky like I've been in it since you know I was 14 years old. Uh, and great connections across you know many regions now. And you try and find solutions individually on what might be a right fit. You work with the agent to say, you know, they need this, but there's so many players out of work. Europe, lower leagues, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult to get. And that's why you've seen so few in the league, right? I think there's two or three and some have gone to Europe and some are there for the next two years, Yeah, but they're not coming back in the CPO anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. So, we're going to get into quick rapid fire questions yes. here and uh, yeah, so we'll do that and we'll see how that, uh, how that rolls out. But I want to know first rapid fire question here. I'll just, I'll lump it into rapid fire. Who is the best player you had in your Canadian youth teams that you thought, wow, this guy's going to be up here, but kind of never really panned out and just, just, just didn't, didn't get to that next level. Tough one to name a player. I don't want to be mean on a player. Yeah. yeah. Um, I still think one that has yet to fulfill his, his real potential is Jordan Hamilton. I've got to yeah. say that. And I still think he'd get there. He was probably one of the best natural finishers, I would even say, at the younger ages. His upside and his left foot and some of the goals he scored would have placed him ahead of Kyle Laren. And mm -hmm. then Kyle came into his own sort of through university and then going down to Orlando, exploded, done magnificently. Yeah. Um, but there, there were many players along the line that you think, you know, handsome Bokai, has he reached his full potential yet? Yeah. Um, challenging. Yeah. There was a, a player who's no longer playing, Bryce Alderson, who was a captain. Yes, I remember it. The Whitecaps, right? Yeah, yeah. and he, he was an Ontario boy, and now he's a yeah. successful businessman. But I'd have probably put money on him. He he was ahead of Samuel Piet for us at that yeah. stage. I forgot that any, name. Any Ottawa players? Samuel, any Ottawa players ever? Uh, look, I worked with Jonathan uh, David, and if someone had told me when he was hanging around the Ottawa scene uh, and 17 and we couldn't get him into a professional club anywhere and the agent was waiting for something to come into Europe, we, we thought we've got to get him in somewhere soon. Uh, but look, he's exploded. And that's, that's yeah. the thing. There's no crystal ball. And what people don't realize is sometimes it's just being in the right place with the right coach, the right group of players around you. Yeah. That, that gives you the right service that you need and you get that run of games and 
your confidence goes wild. You know, Kyle, Jonathan, they've done fabulously well. So wasn't a yeah. rapid answer, but sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Do youth, do youth players like playing outside of the big three MLS academies have an impossible task to get into the uh, youth national teams? Like we have a big clubs here, like West Ottawa and Ottawa South United and, you know, Gloucester Hornets where I, where I work from. But I'm just saying like, <laughs> if you're not, in those big three academies, are you? Is it is it near impossible to get seen from those youth teams? Yeah, I mean it's it, it, it's harder. There's no getting away from that. Uh, you know, I was Manitoba TD, and probably if I wasn't here and advocating for my players on a regular basis, I wouldn't have got yeah. 36 probably in the national team over the eight years that I was here because I see them and I'm working with them and I can advocate for them. And it's difficult mm-hmm. because you go in and you see a player, and let's say you go to TFC. And the level of the game and the opposition that they're playing. I go. I used to go and watch them at the USSDA showcase. And the four or five players that stood out when they're playing Real Salt Lake. And they've got US national team players. You're like, look, I know he can compete. Then I go to, uh, uh, I've been with the lads at OSU. And I've come and done a clinic. And I've done a coaches clinic in Ottawa. And I say, well, that player, you know, he's got a little bit. But, oh, yeah, you know, is he better than... Mm-hmm. This guy who I've seen in the thick of the battle and everything else, yeah, it, that's the hardest part as a national team coach is weighing up where you've seen them. It's like yeah. watching videos now, right? Everyone sends me their YouTube clips and their video. But you have to really take a close look at are they under pressure when receiving the ball? What's, what's the opposition? What's the quality of player around them like? Or do we just look good because we're in the over 35 league yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. scoring five goals a game? Yeah. Listen, if you so, don't do your, your fitness testing, Rob, and you need a 43-year-old like winger who can cross a ball, like <laughs> if you just disregard all the fitness stuff on there. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So your dad was the coach. You have five members of your family have UEFA badges. Is that correct? It is true, yes. Is Thanksgiving like the greatest conversation in the world? <laughs> we don't have Thanksgiving in England. We're on a bunch uh, of ungrateful bastards, so we don't give Thanksgiving. <laughs> You only celebrate over here because we thank goodness we're not under British rule anymore. <laughs> south of the border. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, holidays. My dad's unreal. I mean, he's 81 years old. He won't ever slow down. He travels the world. He still does projects with Football for Peace, with FIFA, and he used to work with a football association, worked for some professional clubs, ran his own camps and other stuff all before. Um, he will not talk to me about anything but football. I'll be here, sitting here with the kids. We're having a lovely family dinner. Having the kids who are doing their own work. And we're having a great conversation. And he's like, yeah, so uh, I wasn't too impressed with Bustos's before. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and he'd just be straight in. It doesn't matter where or when or how he wants to talk yeah. football. And it's, it, he's nonstop. He won't ever switch off. So, yeah, get, most of us are Arsenal fans in the house as well. So there's a fair bit of uh, agreement. Yeah. But um, it can get quite lively. <laughs> does Winnipeg does Winnipeg really have the most mosquitoes in the world? No, I, we I, brought I'm... them all to Edmonton. It's a true story. <laughs> worst last four or five years, when I when I first came to Winnipeg, it was horrible. It's the provincial bird. They were so enormous. Bird. They were, they were just, you know, I think we were going to put it on our flag at one stage. <laughs> considered the Manitoba mosquitoes as a name. No word of a lie that come up in a focus group. Oh, my God. Uh, but uh, we'd have only been good at York on that small pitch. So we, uh, we went to that. But, uh, 
the they had a guy Taz, I think his name was, and he was the entomologist or whatever, and he's become known as the the bug man. And he did about five years of work, natural more dragonflies, everything else. Unbelievable. We had a spell where they were almost non-existent in the summers. Really, wow. really good. He he ended up running for mayor, didn't get in. They <laughs> sacked him from the entomology, and we're getting worse now. But Edmonton <laughs> has worse mosquito mosquitoes for sure than Manitoba. You heard him here. Yeah. <laughs> now listen, quick, uh, quick. I'm, 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 I'm hitting off the road here. But in my fantasy team, is Pepe ever gonna play, or do I drop him? No, you got to bin him. He's, he's like Ozil. He's gonna be the next Ozil. He's got all the he skill is, in man. the world, but it, it's that he gives the ball away. The, the transition. I don't think he yeah. fits on Teta's model. No. Disaster. I drafted him like sixth. I'm, I'm just upset at myself. It's just like, I got to talk this out because I'm really Eddie upset. Ketty is going to get more playing time than him this year. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, he's a good player. Um, have you seen Tiger King on Netflix? I have. Oh. If, you cross, if you cross Tommy Wilden's haircut, <laughs> hair color, Jeff Paulus's facial hair, there's a nice little mock-up of the three of us. And uh, you make a beautiful Tiger King. Um, and yeah. yes, I think Carol Baskin fed her husband to the Tigers. Yes. <laughs> Mark, you're getting traction with this. I love it. I love, I've asked, we've asked every one of our guests and uh, everyone looked at me like I had 10 heads. Oh, um, what, what else are we supposed to do in the pandemic? That's we're what I saw. Oh. Half a Zoom meetings. It that's was right. Tiger King followed by the last dance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now we've all moved on to Jeffrey Epstein and uh, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Nailed yeah. it. So I'm going to hit you with a few would you rathers. Oh. <clears throat> okay. Would you rather though, before we get into that, here we go. Would you rather sell your house quickly, easily and completely stress-free or would you rather lose money selling your house? Come on. Easy decision. And the only way to go is with Bastion and Ferguson real estate team. Tom Bastion, I can promise you, will fight to give you, get you every penny. He treats you like a family member. He wants the best for you, the same way he played the game. He fought for every ball, every inch of grass. He never gave up, just like he treats his clients. I can't promise he won't take a dirty yellow on the other agents, but he'll never take one on you. That was, that was, that was good, Mark. That was good. I like that. I like that. Stop searching the internet and reading about, is this real estate good or anyone's good? Just look him up and get him. That's at the end. Would you rather, Rob, Spurs win the Champions League or the Premier League? Oh, hell freeze oh, over. You have to pick one. You got to pick one, though. Um, Champions League, because they nearly done it under Pochettino, and I felt when they won in that semi-final, it even brought a tear to my eye, to be fair. So, mm. uh, Champions League, they can't win the Premier League. Oh, no. It'd be, uh, it'd be two <laughs> kids. They could be 10 points clear with a game to go, and they're Spursy. It. There's, there's no <laughs> They'll find a way to lose. Uh, two kits hanging in a store. It says, take one for free. AC Milan or Inter Milan? AC Milan. Baldini, uh, Maldini, Baresi. Oh, in the 90s, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be Maldini. I played sweeper for Fulham at the time and brilliant. Yeah. 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 You wouldn't grab the, the Ashley Young Inter Milan jersey? <laughs> <or no? laughs> Would you rather be a kit man or a physio at a Premier League club? Oh, yeah, that's a, a physio. Kitman's the worst. Dirty laundry. Oh, the lads. The lads <laughs> in uh, in flipping PEI. 
six months away, all those guys together, oh. no chance. I ain't washing those socks, I'm telling you yeah, now. That's a good call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good call. Who would you rather, if you showed up to, your, to a UEFA coaching course, who would you rather be running the course, Sean Dyche or Sam Allardyce? Oh, Sean Dyche. All right. I like Max that. I like it because... 100%. Right. I think Dyche has got something going on there with the team spirit and everything out. I think if you get him a better budget, he could turn it into a football team as well. Whereas Allardyce is, is rigid with the sports science and everything else. Sean Dyche. Yeah. I like it. I like that. I, you know, every, most times we bring up Sean Dyche, which people have uh, expertise of, of Rob, they always say he just, he's got this way to pull out a spirit as much as I know Jay wants to die right now because he doesn't like the type of, of game he plays, but he, he has something to get those players in the, he's the, maximized the what he has, right? It's something to be said for that. Yeah. And he's a fellow ginger. So I've got to go with Sean Dyche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. So we're going to end off this with a quiz. But before we get into the quiz, I want to just say a quick something like we're huge soccer snob, whatever soccer snob in this context, especially in terms of following a team, me specifically, I don't follow a team because I'm from that city. Like I'm not a Atletico Ottawa fan. Uh, I don't default to my city. So it's a bit rare and people may not like it or whatever. I don't care, but I connect with clubs and teams after watching them for a little while and like kind of seeing how they are, what they're about. And I'm not pandering to you here in the least, but Valor FC is the club in my house. No, uh, my no. son's sitting beside me right here because uh, he wanted to see his coach that he sees when we watch the games. What a top um, man. What a top. What's yeah. your son's name? It's Keen. Keen. Okay, yeah. Keen, shoot me your address after. I'll send you a Valor top. I'll, uh, I'll oh, send you look at that. Oh, oh, wow. Thank you. So, and, you know, I just wanted to say that, like, we follow Valor because we saw in the first season – you know, it was a bit disappointing, whatever, uh, you know, things happened, but you could see how much you cared and like your mentality and like the us against the world kind of thing. I remember watching a game in the tournament when, uh, when you guys scored and you turned to the camera and almost, you know, knocked them unconscious. <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's what brings me to support a club, not where I was born in a hospital. Wow. So thank you for bringing that to our house. And thank you because we, I know we're happy to have you on. A lot of people will learn from what you talked about here. So thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, now we're quizzing you about your uh, place of birth here, Rob. So this is big. So I'm going to start with Jay, Steve, and then Rob. You're all answering the same question. It's a competition. First on the buzzer. Yeah. So Steve, I'm going to ask you first. What is the Wait, wait, wait. You said Jay. You said oh, did Jay. I? Wow. That's it. Too many, too many ads. I'm Calm off. down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jay, what is the population of Zambia? Oh. Um, I'm going to say 35 million. 35 million. Steve, population of Zambia. Do it, Steve. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to play those tactics. Do it. Rob, this is this has turned into like dirty Italian tactics where we've been playing prices right against each other. So the other person <laughs> says one one dollar higher. It's terrible. Yeah. But wow. I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna stoop there. I'm better than that. I'm like Guardiola. I'm idealistic. I'm gonna I'm gonna play the game the right way. I'm gonna say thirty one million five hundred thousand. Right. J thirty five, Steve thirty one, Rob. I'm gonna go a lot lower. I'm gonna say it's near like a major English city like London, I'm going to go about 16 million. Oh, 
Rob just dominated you guys. 17 million population of Zambia. Well done. Yes. Wow. All right. I'm, I don't know why I'm so happy. That was fantastic. I, yeah. <laughs> like, what, what, what did you <laughs> feed it to him before? Yeah. 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 I, I sent him a quick yeah. email with the answer. <laughs> I, <wish. Yeah. laughs> I was trying to get me Google up with my phone. So I, turned <laughs> up. I thought I'd do with the quizzes with the lads. I'm trying to get the Google up. There's too many messages from your assistant coach on there but to get to the Google. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, again, that's it. So thank you, oh. Rob Gale, for coming. I, uh, I, we really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Too. I'm well happy with that. I'm buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If you want to come back when the season starts, we'll have you back anytime, man. Talk about the, your preseason or well, anything like that. When uh, yeah. Yeah. we could have, we could have dug in and been chatting for uh, absolutely. Oh yeah, but, uh, yeah, I think yeah, so. My pleasure to be on, and uh, thanks for the support and the interest. And Keen, shoot me your address. I'll uh, I'll get something in the mail to you. Keep supporting the Valor Boys for me. Thanks very much for listening today. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and of course, leave us a five-star review. If you want to get in touch, you'll find us on Instagram at soccersnob1, on Twitter at soccersnobs1, by searching for us on Facebook, and of course on the web at www.soccersnobs.ca backslash listen. You can leave us your opinion, give us any comments, and if that's where you want to get nasty, feel free to do so.